Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. Would turn to John's gospel as we are continuing our journey through the gospel of John and turn to the 14th chapter of the gospel of John. Remember, if you would, that we are still in that intimate, special time with Jesus and his true followers. We know that Judas was excused to go and betray the Christ, and there in that upper room is this special time where he is giving special teachings to his beloved. And as we see this, I want you to understand in this discourse known as the Upper Room Discourse, you will hear it referred to as that as you study the Bible. In this discourse, there in the Upper Room, just prior to Jesus' death, He's going to make them a great promise in the text that we're going to look at today, and that is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And what a great promise this was to the disciples, I assure you of that. But what great promise we're going to see it still is to those of us who are followers of Christ today. And I want to begin this talking about the fact that oftentimes in certain religious circles, and and we know this, there are all kinds of religious circles out there today, even among so-called well-meaning Christians. There are different circles. And in these circles, we see this many times, the Holy Spirit is completely left out of the equation, leaving Him out as if He doesn't exist, leaving things without light and without life in the church. And we don't want to make that error when we talk about the Holy Spirit and become those people who leave Him out of the equation completely. But we also know this in talking about and learning about and teaching about the Holy Spirit, I dare say this that there are also those who overemphasize and misrepresent the intended point and purpose of the Holy Spirit bringing forth confusion and disarray and disorder. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. The Holy Spirit of God is not going to violate the, the Holy God who is very clear in His Word that He is a God of order and He is a God of reverence and He is a God of decency. And so as we look at this today, what I want to do is I want us to, if we could for a moment, erase all of our preconceived notions about the Holy Spirit. Because whatever circle you may have been involved in or even brought up in, many of those circles have their own thoughts to the Holy Spirit and the power thereof. What I would like to do in the time that God has allotted us together today is I would like to ask Jesus, Jesus, what are your teachings surrounding the Holy Spirit? And when we see that we are to align our doctrine and our teaching with the teachings of Christ, we will then accurately teach on the Holy Spirit. So what I seek to do today is to take the words of Jesus and to, for just a little while, plagiarize them for you. So that we don't have to accept all of the division and all of the different circles surrounding 
their thoughts on the Holy Spirit. But what we can do is see just exactly what did Jesus teach in regard to the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that today in a message entitled, The Person and Purpose of the Promised Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 14, we know that we are coming off a message last week in 15. He said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And many of you left here going, okay, how am I going to do this? I don't know if I can. Here's the good news for you. You can't. But he will. And just on the heels of this, he's going to promise to the disciples the Holy Spirit. And watch what he says here. Here, after he says in 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And he says in verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Some of your Bibles, it says advocate. Some say, says helper. Some of your Bibles may say comforter there. They're all good words to describe what the Spirit does. We're going to see he does all of those things all at the same time. He says, I'm going to give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know, you know him, for he lives with you and will be you. He says, you know the Holy Spirit because you see him in me. Remember, we go back to the baptism of Jesus Christ, and the Spirit descended upon him as a dove, and we heard the Father from heaven say, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus' earthly ministry began, and he began to do powerful things for the glory of God. And in doing those things, he's telling his disciples, you see the Spirit because he lives with you in me. But he goes on and he says this, and will be in you. Underline that. Will be in you. He's speaking of the indwelling spirit who would be indwelling them. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He has just told them, if we remember the context of this, that he's going to die on a cross for their sins. And he's letting them know here, I won't leave you. But he just told them he's going away. And so we look at this and we go, what is he saying? He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You're not going to be all by yourself and I'm going to come back. I'm going to rise from the dead. That is the direct meaning of this. Of course, the resurrection. He says, I will come to you. And he did. He revealed himself to the apostles. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. They will see him at his resurrection, and they will continually see him through the indwelling Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that in a moment. He says, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Sound familiar? It was verse 15, reiterated. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. He says, those who truly love me, who will be obedient to me, they will see me because of the indwelling promise of the Holy Spirit living in them. Now watch what he says next. It says, then Judas, not Iscariot. John wanted to make that very clear. Judas Iscariot was already gone. He said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Remember, this is going on in a private meeting there up in the upper room. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Anyone. Jesus said, if anyone, oh, if anyone truly loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Oh, he reversed it just as we did last week when we were talking about verse 15. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. 25 says, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He said, it will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Do you know John actually testifies to this later on in, in this gospel that we're looking at? That if he were to record everything that the Lord taught him, that the world could not hold the volume, volumes of books. And Christ tells them everything that I have taught you, the Holy Spirit is going to reiterate for you. He's going to teach you those things. And so what I would like to do today as we endeavor to look at the person and purpose of the promised Holy Spirit, I would like to start by us truly defining the person of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes in religious circles, as I've already said, we have all kinds of, of opinions about the Spirit because we don't properly define who He is, the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus starts right there in verse 16 at the first part, and he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. He will give you another counselor. Who is this counselor? I think it is appropriate that we shed light onto this today. Who is this counselor? Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is he really? Let me just tell you this. He is not an it. He is not a thing. He is not to be approached flippantly or irreverently. He is a he. In fact, he is the third person of the triune God. He's not some mystical being who works through your emotions and feelings, who's separate from the word of truth. He is the Holy Spirit of God. He is God in spirit. He's God. Now, for many people, that's a foreign concept. Oh, we've been taught this whole time in John, the Father is God, the Son is God. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We see the Father and the Son coexisting as God. We spent much time talking about the deity of Christ. But today we're going to spend some time talking about the deity of the Holy Spirit. Because He's so much more than the feelings that He has been equated with. Oftentimes you hear people say, I know the Spirit was moving because I cried. Oh, well, many times the Spirit was moving and I had no idea and I was not moved to tears. Don't measure the Holy Spirit by your emotions. He's not a mystical, emotional being. He's God. And He's God who indwells the true believers. Write this down if you're taking notes. As we talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, I want you to know this. He is eternally the third person of the triune God. That it wasn't... After Jesus petitioned the Father to send the Spirit, that the Spirit was then somehow birthed. He's existed for all eternity past. He will exist for all eternity future. He is the existing third person of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We know this. That one God consists in three persons. Jesus here is describing for us the third person here as the counselor, the spirit of truth, 
the Holy Spirit, and if you dare say, the Holy Ghost. He is describing Him as the third person of the Trinity. And how beautiful this is for those people who don't want to believe in a true Trinitarian doctrine. i got something to say for the modalist here who thinks that God somehow works as the Father for a moment and He works as the Son for a moment and then at another time He may work as the Spirit. He's working here according to Jesus all at the same time. He said, I, the Son, I'm going to the Father and I'm going to ask that He send the Spirit. All co-equally God. And so when we look at the Holy Spirit, I don't want you to reduce Him to an it or a thing, but to see Him as who He really is. He is God. Watch this. Write this down so that you can know this. Why? Because many people don't care to define the Trinity anymore properly. But write this down if you're taking notes, if you really care, if you really want to know who this Holy Spirit who lives in the believer really is, write it down. He's the same as the Father and Son in essence and in divine substance. He is. He's the same in essence, and He is the same in divine substance. As I've already said, we, we have spoken much on the deity of Christ as we've gone through the Gospel of John. But here I want you to draw your attention to the deity of the Holy Spirit. It is not some second-rate substitute God living in you, but He is God Himself, the person of the Holy Spirit, indwelling every single true believer. The same in essence as the Father and as the Son. The same in divine substance as the Father and as the Son. The same as the Father and the Son in eternal power, eternal nature, and eternal glory. Isn't it interesting how we quickly give glory glory to the Father? We quickly give glory to the Son, but when we get to the Holy Spirit because of bad teaching for so long, we're, we're almost careful not to give Him glory in case we might give glory to the wrong one. Can I assure you of this? When you give glory to the Holy Spirit, He gives it to the Son who gives it to the Father. When you give glory to the Son, He gives it to the Father who gives it to the Spirit. They share an eternal glory. He is not less than the Son and less than the Father in glory. I want you to think about that for a second because we're going to realize in a moment that as true believers, He, the third person of the Trinity, lives inside of us. What a privilege that we forget oftentimes that God Himself lives inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The same eternal power, eternal nature, eternal glory as the Father and as the Son. He walks with you daily indwelling you, the same as the Father and the Son, being equally God, equally God, eternally God. He's never going to cease to be. He was not created, just as the Father and just as the Son have eternally existed. You say, why is this important? Because I want you to know exactly who is living in you. Because in knowing who is living in you, the value that we place upon the Holy Spirit completely changes. I assure you of that. Oh, I remember the first time that it hit me that the Holy Spirit was not this second-rate addition to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but He was equally God, eternally God, in all of His essence, in all of His substance, living inside of me. Oh, what a privilege that is that we have in Christ been made temples of the Holy Spirit. 
where he dwells. Now, if you would for a moment, go back to the Old Testament with me. We know that God dwelt among the Israelites there in the Holy of Holies, there before the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, there in the temple. I want you to see that picture. And we look at that and we say, man, it would have been amazing to be one of those high priests who went into that room. Watch this. Because of the great high priest, Jesus Christ, the same Holy Spirit has moved into you as his temple. Let that wow you for a moment. You see, he's eternally the third person of the triune God when we talk of the person of the Holy Spirit. He's the same as the Father, the same as the Son. In his essence and in his deity, they are equal. But though they are equal in essence, I want you to see this. They function differently within the Godhead. This is what oftentimes confuses people. Don't be confused about this. Though they are equal in essence, and though they are equal in power, and though they are equal in glory, that is their substance. But in their subsistence, this is how they function, they function differently within the Godhead. For example, the Father sends the Son. Did Jesus not say that many times in his earthly ministry? I, I was sent by the Father to do his will. Yes, he was. So the Father sends the Son. The Son obeys the Father. The Spirit indwells and empowers the Son. Did He not? Of course He did. We see the results of the indwelling Holy Spirit in Christ as He performed the works of God before people in His day and in His ministry. The Son then fulfills the Father's redemptive plan. Did He not fulfill the Father's redemptive plan at the cross? It was the Father's plan. And the Son fulfilled it. Then the Son petitions the Father as we see here in John chapter 14, to give the Holy Spirit to his true followers. It is the Son who petitions the Father, the Father who then gives. All three functioning there, but uniquely functioning within subsistence. Though they were, are equal in substance, they have different functions in subsistence. Consistency. You say, well, does that really matter? Yes, it really matters. It matters that you understand that. In fact, the London Baptist, Baptist Confession of Faith, it is the second London Baptist Confession of 1689. It says this in chapter 2, paragraph 3. You say, why is that important? It's important that you understand where we've come from. It's important that we understand sound doctrine. And that sound doctrine must be taught from generation to generation to generation. It's important that you understand the church is in the condition that it is in today because they have stopped doing that. And so as we look at this, let's read this. It's in regard to the Trinity. It says, in this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences. The Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons with three distinct functions. Subsistence. Now watch this. Of one substance. That's for the people who try to tell us if you believe in the Trinity, you don't believe in one God. Yes, I do. One God in substance, acting and working in three persons eternally. We see all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Let us make man in our own image. You're going to have to explain those pronouns to me, because both of them are in the plural. Why? 
because all three persons, though equal in substance at creation, they functioned in subsistency. So we see this. The confession goes on to say this, of substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. We know that it is the Father who sent the Son, His only begotten. The Holy Spirit then proceeding from the Father. Why? Because we just saw the Son requested that the Father send the Spirit. All infinite, it says, without beginning. Therefore, but one God who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations. Which doctrine of the Trinity is, watch this, the foundation of all of our communion with God and comfortable dependence on Him. Why is it important that we properly define the person of the Holy Spirit as He functions and as He operates and as He is in the triune Godhead? Why is it important? Because it is the foundation of all of our communion with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to understand the values of each of the subsistences within the one substance of God. You say, Pastor, that's too much. That blows me away. It does, doesn't it? Me too. Some of you say, give me more. To which I say this humbly, I can't. It is all that has been revealed of him. Uh, to, to somehow try to illustrate that or clean it up for you is only to mess it up for you. Remember this, it's one God in substance who functions in his subsistency through three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you need any more? No, that's all that's been revealed to us. We accept the rest by faith. And isn't it wonderful just to be able to do that? To say that the Trinity is so beyond anything that this human being could ever understand. I'm not going to try to understand what hasn't been revealed to me. Why? Because the secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to man. But oh, just the small portion that has been revealed to me, as we are going to see it in this lesson today, that the third person of the triune Godhead lives inside of this once wretched scoundrel blows me away. What a grace and what a privilege that he would trust us with. That God himself would come to live and to dwell inside of us. Why do we teach the importance of the person of the Holy Spirit before we get to the functioning and the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Because if you miss out on who he is, you don't really enjoy his purposes near as much. But how many times have we sit in a church service where all we do is highlight the thought purposes of the Holy Spirit and never talk about his person? That he is God. He's eternally the third person of the triune God, but we also see in 16, we see this, he's exactly like Jesus. And this floors some of you because that presents a dilemma. And it presents a dilemma because of the way that it's worded. Let's, let's read that again together. Verse 16, it says, And I will ask of the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. See there, Kirk, we got you. He's not the same substance as God. He's another. I want to educate you on something today. 
in English, we have this. We have one word for another. Unfortunately. That's all we have. Then we have to really comprehend and understand the use of another based on the actual context of what we're looking at. For instance, today I have on boots. This afternoon, I promise you this, I'm going to put on some more comfortable shoes. I'm going to put on another pair of shoes. Now, it would do me no good, right, to go home and put on no shoes and then walk around in public. I'm going to step on glass. I'm going to step on rocks. I'm going to hurt my feet. Now, I would be a fool because I know what another means. It means I'm going to get another pair of shoes, some who function like shoes. Now, I'd be a fool to go home and grab a T-shirt, one for each foot, and try to substitute those for shoes. That's another thing. Everybody understand? I'm going to put on another pair of shoes, but when I put a shirt on my feet, that's a whole other thing. It is another as defined by the context. Now, I want you to pay, the con- pay attention to the context of this because we don't wear shirts on our feet. We wear shoes on our feet. But I want you to pay the attention to the context and the meaning of this word that Jesus uses here because there are two Greek words for another in only one English. And what the Greek language does, it helps us out. It actually gives us the meaning within the word. The first Greek word for another is heteros. Heteros. We, we, we know that if something is orthodox, it's true. And if it's heterodox, it's false. It is not the real thing. Now, he doesn't use heteros here. In fact, we see the word heteros in Paul's writing to the Galatians. And he says in chapter 1, I am astonished in verse 6 that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different or another gospel. That is heteros. It's, and watch what he says about it, which is really no gospel at all. They were trying to put shirts on their feet. It's no gospel at all. It's heteros, the hetero gospel, the false gospel. He says it's really no gospel at all. And that people were just throwing them into confusion by introducing this gospel and perverting the true gospel. That's heteros. When we use heteros, that is another of a different kind. However, Jesus doesn't use heteros here for our English word another. He says alas, alas. Now alas in the Greek means another of the same or another of the exact same kind. He says, I'm going to send you another counselor The spirit of truth was Jesus. The spirit of truth, I assure you, he was. Who's also going to be the spirit of truth living in you. I'm sending you an alas comforter. Exactly the same kind as me. Equal in all of his substance. Though he may function differently within his subsistence. He's going to send one exactly like himself, alas. We see that in verse 16, that counselor of the same kind, a divine counselor who was the same as Christ in his nature, in his eternality, in his essence, in his equality with the Father, with the Son. 
He's no unqualified, unaccepted, unworthy substitute of God. He is exactly the same substance of God that Christ was when he was sitting there teaching them in the upper room. And he says that Allah's counselor or comforter, he's going to live in you. Just as I have walked with you these three plus years, the Lord is declaring to them, God incarnate living with you, God in spirit will be living in you. So it is that the third person of the Trinity indwells all true believers. You say, well, why is that so important that we learn all of those things surrounding that? So that you will know. So that you will know. And did you know this? It is truth from the Word of God that sanctifies you and sets you apart and allows you to realize that the very living God of this universe lives inside of me by the indwelling Holy Spirit that Jesus the Son promised and He petitioned the Father God for Him and He is now living in all of those who believe. What a privilege. What a grace. It ought to cause us to move to a place of awe and worship. You see, the person of the Holy Spirit And then we move into the practical, because I know that's what many of you, probably most of you, really want. Listen, don't bypass the theological to get to the practical. Because if you will look at the theological first, when you get to the practical, it's sweeter than it would have been if you just pragmatized it. And so as we look at this, let's see now the purpose of the Holy Spirit with the understanding of who He really is. Oh, what a different concept, right? We like the smorgasbord approach in America. The Holy Spirit can be anything we want Him or her to be. Doing what we want Him to do. That's not the Holy Spirit at all. He is the third person of the Trinity. God and Spirit. Dwelling in His blood-bought church. If you are a member of that church, you agree with me that that is an overwhelming truth that he does live in us but let's see his purpose verse 16 continues there in chapter 14 he says and i will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever a counselor to be with you forever let's think of that for a second a forever counselor That word counselor, as I said, some of your manuscripts say comforter or advocate. It is parakletos in the Greek. And it is that paraclete. It is that one who comes alongside of you. So when we look at the Holy Spirit, He is one who comes alongside of you. He is an advocate. He is a helper. He is a comforter. I told you all of those definitions will work. That's why many of the scholars who who translated the Scriptures, they differ in the way that they translated it in English because they said, He's my helper. He is. He's my comforter. He is. He's my counselor. Yes, He is. He's an advocate. Oh, you bet. He's all of those things all at the same time. He is parakletos, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside of the children of God, aiding and directing them. What comfort that we receive from the Holy Spirit. And that's the first thing I want you to see. The first purpose of the Holy Spirit 
is to comfort true believers. To comfort true believers. Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of Hebrews in verse 5, borrowing from the Old Testament, also as well in verse 6, he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. He's my helper. Parakletos. He is the one who comes alongside of me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Oh, he takes the Old Testament words and he brings them to life in New Testament context. The helper, Parakletos, living in us. And when you know in the Old Testament, they had the hope of the help of the Lord. We know that. They, they would look to the mountains. Where does my hope come from? It, it comes from the Lord. They knew that. But not only in our context does our hope come from the Lord. The hope of the Lord, our helper, Parakletos, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. Comforting us in every situation. Our advocate. Our helper. He says he's the spirit of truth living in us. He says his counselor will be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. And he'll live in you. Now you think about that for a second. He is the spirit of the Truth, the same Spirit of Christ. What comfort we have from the Holy Spirit, our helper in, internally indwelling us with truth. Oh, where would we be without the discerning truth of the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you where we would be. We'd be in some charismatic circle, chasing all sorts of weird things that aren't biblical at all. That's where people find themselves, I assure you. But those of us who understand who the indwelling Holy Spirit really is, we seek after truth. We discern truth. Why? Because He is the Spirit of truth. He is not the Spirit of falsehood. He is not the Spirit of excitement. He is not the Spirit of emotion. He is not the Spirit of feelings. He is the Spirit of what? Truth. So when we look at the Holy Spirit, we see that in Jesus' teaching here. Spirit of truth living in us. And isn't that important, especially in today's world? Especially in today's world. We live in a world full of relative, subjective teachings. They're all labeled truth. Did you know that? The Mormon labels their heresy truth. The Jehovah Witness labels their heresy truth. And it's false. And Satan has been very crafty. And where would we be without the indwelling truth of the Holy Spirit to allow us to discern the difference between orthodoxy and heterodoxy? We have the spirit of absolute objective truth living inside of us in a world that is full of relative subjective truth. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? That the truth lives inside of true believers. Discerning for us the lies of the enemy. Discerning for us false teachers and false doctrine. Don't feel bad about that. Don't feel bad about it. There's so many people in today's time are trying to make Christians feel bad when the Holy Spirit discerns truth for them. No, when you're listening to some person who is teaching heresy and the Holy Spirit says, wait, and he recalls for you Scripture that confirms what that person is teaching is not true, do not apologize when you turn the television station. Do not apologize when you turn the radio broadcast off. Thank God that the indwelling spirit of truth lives in you comforting you, leading you as your advocate, helping you so that you do walk in the spirit of truth. He is the third person of a triune God inside of us, alongside of us, every true believer. 
He's our comfort. He's our counsel. He's our help. In fact, Romans chapter 8 describes the Spirit for us. It says, in the same way, in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Oh, doesn't that put us where we belong? In our weakness? With Him being our help, our strength, our comfort, our counselor? In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Well, that's the Apostle Paul. Surely he didn't have any weakness. He just said that he does. He was a man just like you and I. He had weakness. And he had to depend on the indwelling Holy Spirit. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Now, watch for just a second what he just said. We do not know what we ought to pray for. I can't tell you how many times people come to me and say, man, I got hit with some bad news. I don't even know how to pray. It's okay. He does. He does. And he's interceding on your behalf. Why? Because you don't have the words. I had someone tell me they just prayed in public for the first time, and I happened to be there, and they got all nervous. And it's hard. I know that was all wrong. I said, no, that was all right. Oh, did they pray in 1611 King James English? No, that's not what is required. You know what was right? Because it was right because her heart was right. And you know what I believe about our prayers? I believe that all of our prayers fall short. Why? Because they're prayed from a human. But the Holy Spirit grabs them up for us. And He translates our very heart that we cannot put into words. All of our hurts and all of our pains and all of our fears and all of our anxieties. He takes them to the Son, who then takes them to the Father. How does He do this? He intercedes. He intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. What does that mean? When I'm attempting to get to God in my prayer, He intercepts my prayers, intercedes for me, and then presents them as acceptable to the Father. He intercedes with groans that words cannot express. There's been many in error who try to say that this is tongues. Well, how could there be an interpretation of it if it was tongues, if it can't be expressed. No, the Spirit intervenes for us in ways we cannot even understand at all. We'll try to apply something here that's not here in Romans 8. And it says in verse 27, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. He who knows our hearts, that's God the Father. He knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with His will. I have people all the time, I just want to pray the will of God and I don't know what it is and I don't know how to pray. The Spirit knows exactly the will of God and the Father is perceiving the Spirit's prayers. And I assure you this, the Spirit is praying on your behalf the exact will of God and He will also empower you to walk in obedience to that, that will. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Why? Because the Spirit is interceding on your behalf so that you will walk and live a sanctified and obedient life as lovers of Christ and true children of God. You see the purpose of the Holy Spirit to comfort true believers what comfort He is. We see secondly in that, in Him being our comfort, He's not only that, He's also, number two, indwelling us, and His purpose is to commune with true believers. To commune with us. 
Verse 18, the Lord teaches on this, and he says in verse 18 of 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Fellowship, communion. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Oh, he's directly speaking of his resurrection, I assure you of that, but he's also continuing beyond the resurrection. Because in this context, he's giving the promise of the Holy Spirit, who will, through the resurrection, give the true believers great hope, and great hope of comfort and intimacy and fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Spirit. So the second person, uh, uh, second purpose, excuse me, of the indwelling Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, is to commune with true believers. Because when we commune with the Holy Spirit, did you know this? It allows us that constant communion and fellowship with the resurrected Christ. What a privilege it is to be in constant fellowship and communion with the one who died to save me, and even greater than that, rose from the dead to prove that he is the only hope that I have. And I have constant fellowship with him because of the communion of the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 28, in the Lord giving the Great Commission, oftentimes we focus on the evangelism of this, and we should, that we miss over some teachings that surround it. But he says in verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that for all the oneness people that may be here. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three persons, one substance, God, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, Jesus says this. We go to the book of Acts. Jesus ascends from the earth into heaven. How could he make this promise that he will surely be with them always, even to the very end of the age? Because he had promised them in John chapter 14, the Holy Spirit, who would commune with them, a constant companion and counselor and advocate, that he would fellowship with them through his Holy Spirit, who he petitioned the Father to send, who the Father sent at Pentecost, and believers have been communing with Christ because of the Holy Spirit since. People look at us and they wonder, how could I commune with one I've never seen? By faith and faith alone. And who is the giver of that faith? It is the indwelling Holy Spirit who gives me the faith to believe and to trust that when I commune, I commune with the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He allows us constant communion and fellowship with the Son. He also allows us constant communion and fellowship with the Father. First John says this in John's epistle, chapter 4, verse 13. We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. How do you know that you live in Him and Him in you? Because he's given you his spirit, testifying to that truth. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. We have seen it and we have testified that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And we know it to be true that he lives in us and we in him because of the Spirit who is alive inside of us. Constant communion and fellowship with the Father because of the Spirit through the work of the Son. The Father always is communing with the saints 
through the Holy Spirit who lives in each of us. Think where we would be had the Holy Spirit not indwelt the church. We would be here in all of this darkness without the communion of the Son and the fellowship with the Son and without the communion of the Father and the fellowship of the Father. We would be left as orphans all alone. And Jesus said, I'm not leaving you as orphans but I'm sending my spirit to live in you, the Holy Spirit. And he is going to live in you, confirming your constant communion with the Son, your constant communion with the Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul ends this 2 Corinthian address here in this verse by saying this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Oh, he reminds the church as he ends that letter, the sweet fellowship that they have with the Holy Spirit and because of the Holy Spirit, and that fellowship includes the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that they have received and that continual love of God. Aren't you thankful for the continual love of God that the Holy Spirit constantly reminds you of when you think that you've blown it too much, that God can never love you? It is the Holy Spirit Himself who embraces you with the love of God and reminds you of the communion that the Son paid for you to have on the cross. And that communion, just as, as Jesus just said in 14, is forever. Forever. For all the people who think that a person can be saved and then somehow be lost again at some other point in time. You think that Jesus' promises weren't really true. Once the indwelling Holy Spirit moves in, He is there forever, sealing you. There's nothing you can do to get rid of Him. You're His. He's yours. All glory and honor to God. He allows us constant communion and fellowship with the Father. So we see uh, the purpose of the indwelling Holy Spirit is to comfort true believers. It is to commune with true believers. And in communing with the Spirit, we commune likewise with the Father and with the Son in intimacy. The next thing that I want you to see is this. Verse 21, the Lord is going to show us that the purpose of the indwelling Holy Spirit is to confirm true believers. Verse 21 says this. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. How will he show himself to us? Now we know to the apostles specifically, he showed himself to them after his resurrection. And I can tell you this, I wasn't there in 33 AD at his resurrection. But has he shown himself as the living Savior to me? You bet he has many times. How? Through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. Confirming the work of Jesus Christ, that it was truly finished on the cross, and that three days later he did rise from the grave. He says, then Judas, not Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. I've showed myself to the world. Well, I know that you think it's just limited to 33 AD, but I'll show myself to the world until I return. I assure you of that. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and he will come to him and make, and we will come to him, excuse me, and make our home with him. Now, we will come to them and make our home with them. So it's pronouns again. Finding the fact that the Father and the Son dwell within us 
through the Holy Spirit. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. We see the third purpose as defined by Jesus of the indwelling Holy Spirit is to confirm true believers. How does he confirm true believers? Write this down. By his internal presence. By his internal presence. He said, I'm going to be with you. How is he going to be with us? The Holy Spirit is going to be with us. Therefore, God is with us always. By his internal presence. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. There is a false doctrine out there that is popularly preached in many so-called Christian circles that says that you get saved, you become a Christian at some later point, you receive a second blessing known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is no baptism of the Holy Spirit at all. Many people will say this, I was saved and two years later I, I received the Holy Spirit and then I started living for Christ. Can I tell you this? You got saved two years after you thought you did. You say, well, how can you say such a bold statement? Because look what he says there. He says, that, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead. Oh, excuse me. That anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. He's making a claim here. He's saying if the Spirit does not live inside of you, you, not, you have not yet been raised from your spiritual deadness. That's for all the people who want to adhere to a second blessing. Stop. All of the blessings are found in Christ. He said it is finished. The promise of the Holy Spirit sealed and done in the fact that Christ finished the work at Calvary. He says, therefore, brothers, in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. What did Jesus say in verse 15? And then again, several times in the text we're looking at today, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And how do you do that? The Spirit who lives in you. The Spirit in, who lives in you. And if by that Spirit you put to death the misdeeds, you mortify your sin, you put to death the misdeeds of your body, you will live. It's proof that you are alive. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God, watch this, are sons of God. Why is that important? Because Jesus promised His indwelling Holy Spirit to the true believers. That's the whole point of the upper room discourse. He wasn't offering it to all the people in the streets as he was when he was out doing his earthly ministry. He's here in the privacy of the upper room, and he's telling his disciples, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is going to live in you, and he's going to lead you into obedience. And you're going to be able to tell that you love me because you obey me. Why? Because the Spirit is going to make sure that you do. He's going to empower you so that you can. Are you thankful for the Holy Spirit this morning? Because he confirms to us internally that we are children of God. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. 
What is the seal that marks us? The promised Holy Spirit. He says He is who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. We are God's possession sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. It's for all the people who think that you can lose salvation here. Watch this. I find it interesting that the people who think that you can lose salvation, a lot of them also believe in a second blessing where you receive the Holy Spirit. My question is this always to them. When a person comes back from their backsliding and they're saved again, how come y'all never try to get them to receive the Holy Spirit the third time or the third blessing? It should be, I guess, the second time for them. And they have no answer. Because they really don't understand what that passage says there in Ephesians, that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Aren't you thankful that it doesn't say you're sealed with the Holy Spirit until you mess up? Aren't you thankful that it doesn't say you're sealed with the Holy Spirit until you really blow it, Kirk? I'm sealed with the promised Holy Spirit forever until the day of redemption. Why? Because Jesus said, the Paracletos, the third person of the Trinity, that he has petitioned the Father for will come and he will live in all true believers, leading them into righteousness, proving their true love for Christ. We see the internal presence of the Holy Spirit confirms that we are true believers, but also the external proof. Again, how many times has he said this? In John chapter 14, verse 15, 14, verse 23, 14, 24, he talks about external proof of an internal change. Who brings that internal change? It is the Holy Spirit who brings that change. It's the Holy Spirit who lives in us to sanctify us and to lead us into obedience and into truth. That's why those of us who truly love Christ, who truly have the indwelling Holy Spirit, will truly live a life of obedience to His commands. We don't live a life of obedience to His commands so that we can earn salvation. We live a life of obedience to His commands because the indwelling Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Because we truly love Christ. Why? Because He first loved us. It all begins to make sense when we look at Scripture the way we ought to look at Scripture. The purpose of the indwelling Holy Spirit, thirdly, is to confirm true believers by His internal presence and by His external proof. Doesn't He prove externally that there's something going on internally? Oh, I assure you of this. Some of you have only been Christians for a short time. You have already found this out if you were truly saved. There were things that you were doing by habit before you were saved. And you go to grab that habit, and all of a sudden something inside of you, or better put, watch this, someone inside of you, who is it? It is Paracletos. It is our advocate. It is the helper. It is the Holy Spirit who says, wait a second, Kirk, you can't do that. That's what you used to be. You're no longer that. You can't make that choice anymore. Why? Because you love Christ. Because you love Christ, you will obey His commands. And I am here to see to it that you do. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit who sees to it that we do? When our flesh is weak, the Spirit remains strong, doesn't He? Always. You see the external proof confirming that we're believers. We see the internal proof confirming that we're believers. Now let's move to the last and the final purpose that Jesus gives us here in this text, the final purpose of the indwelling Holy Spirit, as defined by Christ, is to 
counsel true believers. Read, read 24 with me again, the second part of that and into 26. But he says, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. He says in the second part, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. They are the very words of God. Now watch this. All this I have spoken while with you. He said, I've spoken these things while I'm here, standing in your presence, sitting in your presence, teaching you, living with you. He says in verse 26, but there's a shift there. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. What is this saying? What in the world does this mean? It means this. That the purpose of the indwelling Holy Spirit is to counsel true believers. Watch what he says there. He will teach you. He will teach you. How does the Spirit teach us? Here's a simple answer before I get into the complex answer. Here's a simple answer. By and through the teaching of the Word of God. By and through His Word. What had Jesus been teaching them the whole time? Was this just some crazed man with, with some agenda, some cult leader? No, He just told them, I am teaching you the very words of the Father. I am teaching you the Word of God. And He goes on to say, and the Counselor is going to come and live in you, and He's going to teach you the same things. He's going to bring it all to your remembrance. Why is this important? What's important because in that room that day, in that room were many of the writers of the New Testament who would be at some point in time carried by the Holy Spirit to write the text that we are reading at this point in time. Did you know this? John, the gospel that we're reading here from him, he was sitting in that room. In fact, we know he's sitting right by Christ. And now, he has been inspired by the Holy Spirit who lived in him that Jesus promised would live in him, who counseled him in the truth to remember all the things that Christ had taught him. And here it is, we're reading it 2,000 years later, the very words of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so as we look at this, the purpose of the indwelling Holy Spirit is to counsel true believers. And how does he do this? The Word. By inspiring the Word of God to the biblical writers, as I said, some who were in this very room listening, he promised them, I'll recall everything to your memory. You, you just don't worry about it. Everything I've taught you, you'll remember. Why? Because the Spirit's going to live in you to teach you the same thing. Aren't you glad that Christ, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are never going to contradict each other because they are all same in substance. They all speak the Word of God. They all speak truth. 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us this. It says in verse 20, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, we know this. Peter is writing reference to the Old Testament Scriptures, and he's saying the prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And they wrote what the Spirit led them to write. 
we see in the lives of the New Testament writers that same truth happening. Being carried along by the indwelling Holy Spirit to write the very words of God. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul addresses Timothy, and he addresses Timothy in a time where they were already starting to accept some of the New Testament letters and writings as canonized Scripture. And Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God-breathed. Did you know this? The word for spirit is pneuma. You know what it means? Breath. Breath. Oh, how do we receive the Word of God? Because it was breathed by God through Jesus Christ, through the prophets, through the apostles and their epistles and the early church leaders. It is the very Word of God. The purpose of the indwelling Holy Spirit is to counsel us into truth as true believers by inspiring the Word of God in the writers, but not only that, by interpreting the Word of God for the readers. You know who the best theologian is? The best interpreter of Scripture is? I assure you of this, it's not me. It's not your favorite theologian, your favorite Puritan, your favorite pastor. I assure you the best interpreter of the Scripture is the one who lives inside of you who is responsible for revealing them, the Holy Spirit, the one who breathed them into existence. Trust Him. He is the interpreter of the Word of God. He interprets it for us and discerns it for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, This is what we speak, not in words taught, taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It is the Spirit teaching us, interpreting the Word for us, making it all make sense. It's, it's why the lost world can read the Bible and say this. It makes no sense. And a person who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit can read the Bible and say, this is the greatest thing I have ever seen in all my life. It is the very Word of God transforming my very life. It is truth. While the lost world perishes without the Spirit, we thrive because it is the Spirit who is interpreting and teaching us the Word of God. What is the fourth purpose of the Holy Spirit? It is to counsel true believers by inspiring the Word, by interpreting the Word, by illuminating the Word. Illuminating the Word. How is the Word of God illuminated through the Holy Spirit? How about this? By gifted and called men of God who will stand and teach the Word of God as the Word of God is written. Oh, not men of God who don't do their homework all week long and who don't study the Scripture and they just come up here and they have a new word that's outside of Scripture. Can I tell you this? All extra-biblical words... New words, old words, words at all, all extra-biblical words are not of God. There are 66 books, they contain the very Word of God. If you have a vision outside of the Word of God, it is not a vision from God, it is indigestion, and you don't need to eat at the place that you ate at the night before. 
The Word of God will be consistent. Why? Because the indwelling Holy Spirit will make sure that it is consistent in all of its nature, in all of its teaching. It's the Holy Spirit who illuminates the Word of God. How does He do that? By gifted, called teachers of the Word of God. I've had people oftentimes say this, and I promise you this is not bragging. If it is, it's bragging on the Holy Spirit, not on me. Man, I didn't see that in the Scripture. Where did you get that? I didn't. I was there in my office in prayer in the Spirit, studying the Word of God, and He illuminated His Word so that I could then teach it to you. Oh, that's got to be exciting. Oh, you don't even know how exciting it is. People think I'm excited when I get up here to teach you. Oh, you don't get to see the mess that I am in my study when the indwelling Holy Spirit reveals the truth. It shakes me to my very core. And I long all week long to be able to share it with you. Oh, who gave me that truth? Oh, it's not anything I conjured up in my mind. I promise you I was studying the Word of God, not Reader's Digest, a Charisma magazine. We're watching some health, wealth, and prosperity preacher lie to people. What I was doing, I was studying the Word of God and the Holy Spirit who indwells me and who indwells all believers illuminated the truth to me so that I could then teach it to you. Oh, and I'm not the only one, I assure you of that. We have great teachers even in our church and great teachers around the world who are devoted and gifted by the Holy Spirit to teach what the Holy Spirit has illuminated to them. I don't get to illuminate the Word of God. He does. I just get to share with you what He showed me and pray that He shows you the truth in all of it. What comfort, what counsel we receive from the Holy Spirit. So let's wrap this up. I know that you're ready to go. We look at the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you again. The purpose of the indwelling Holy Spirit is not so that you can run around screaming and waving flags and speaking in unknown languages acting a fool, out of order, chaotic. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to comfort true believers, to commune with true believers, to confirm true believers that you really are His, and to counsel true believers, to counsel them into the truth. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit this morning? It's okay if you give Him praise, because He is worthy of praise just as the Father is worthy of praise and just as the Son is worthy of praise. And we praise Him this morning. We praise Him. What a comfort to know as believers that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. But I say this also to you who may be here today who are not believers. You do not have the Holy Spirit living in you. Therefore, you do not have the comfort that He offers. You, you do not have communion with the Father and communion with the Son. You are cut off from a holy God living in your sin, you do not have any kind of confirmation that you are a true believer at all because the Holy Spirit would not confirm that because you're not. You've not yet surrendered to Christ. Therefore, you have no true counsel living in you. You are like those who are tossed to and fro with every wind and every doctrine. You say, well, pastor, are you trying to cause us to envy what you have? Yes, very much so. Very much so. I pray today that God would use your very sinful nature, your very desire to envy. 
that he would use that to cause you to envy every true believer who has the indwelling Holy Spirit living in them. And that today, that envy would cause you to fall on your face and cry out to a holy God, God, save me from my sins. Save me from your wrath. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with power. Raise me up to be the man or woman of God, Jesus, that you died for me to be. I no longer want my life of sin. I need you as my Lord and my Savior. Would you please envy what I have today? Because it's not from me. It was a gift of God. And I assure you of this, he is able to give you that same gift today when you cry out to him as he opens your heart right this very moment to see your darkness and your sin and your need to Christ, I assure you of this, as he knocks the scales off of your eyes, you can see the truth this very day. And when you do, he will give you the faith through the power of the Holy Spirit to repent of your sin and to believe and to trust in Christ and to be forever saved. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. Let us be overwhelmed that you would live in us. Vessels once reserved for wrath, full of darkness and wickedness, who have been cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and made a worthy dwelling place of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for confirming these truths to us today. We ask that you would convict hearts as only you can today. That according to the will and the grace of God, that you would save the sinner who was here before it's too late. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price, for doing the work on the cross, that we might be saved. May you make that real to someone today. Their need for you is their substitute. Understanding fully that everything that happened to you on the cross belonged to them. And they deserve every bit of that. But today, would you share your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness with them and save their wretched souls as you once saved mine. We ask that your will be done now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281 689 You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week, and remember, you are light in the darkness.